I want you guys to go ahead and open to Acts chapter 17. If you were with us last week, we've been talking about faith specifically in belief and looking at this question of what does it mean to choose to believe in Jesus? Oftentimes you can come to church and the things that are talked about, the discussions can be based around an assumption that you do believe and that is, dare I say, just perfect. And so, and that's, that's okay to talk about things of how do you grow your faith? How does your faith do in the midst of perseverance? How do you have a genuine type of faith? But maybe you find yourself in a place, and oftentimes you'll find yourself in a place throughout your life of asking the question, why do you choose to believe in Jesus? You know, that's a, that's a healthy thing to ask yourself. Last week we looked at creation and life as well as death and the resurrection of reasons to choose to believe in Jesus, why you would do that. And I would even go as far as to say that it's more than just doubt in itself. Doubt can be a good thing as well as asking questions because it can lead you to a more deep, genuine faith. Oftentimes in church there can be a stigma of thinking that if I have questions or if I'm uncertain of certain things that maybe my faith isn't as strong as it is. No, you're just reaching the limit of your faith. Jesus would even say that our faith is limited and that if it was the size of a mustard seed, you would be able to look at a mountain, point to it and say, move from here to there. Because that's truly how limited our faith is. And faith is something, if you've been around Christianity, is the basis of our relationship with Jesus. Knowledge and truth plays a role in that. But I think it makes way that when you learn something about Jesus and when you know something about Jesus, it affords you the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to choose to trust and believe in that. Knowledge by itself cannot save Christians. It can't save people and make them Christians. But choosing to believe and having faith and knowledge does and it strengthens it. I think it's good to ask questions. Oftentimes when I sit down with students who are working through things, I like to ask them the question, how do you know I'm not being a fraud as a pastor? How do you know that everything that I'm telling you right now is an absolute lie, that I'm just lying? Now, that's probably a terrible thing to do, amen? Amen? Someone who would just come up and lie? What if I'm misinformed? What if I have a bias? How do you guys know that? So how do, you, how do you handle that? I remember talking to a junior high student a couple years ago, and they, in another place, in another time, were at the hands of a leader that they were listening to, and they were like, I'm not sure this is true, but how do I know this is true? And so on their own, with their friends, they not only sought out the truth in the word, but they sought out the truth with the wisdom and the leaders that were around them as well, and they found out this is really the truth, what they were saying wasn't. I love that. We all love that because that's evidence of people who aren't just persuaded because someone in a room told them something, but they're going to believe for themselves. The Bible talks about that in detail. And in this scripture that we're going to look at, if you want to look at verse 10 in Acts 17, we're going to look at a story where many of you know this apostle Paul who was going out to places that had never heard of Jesus. He was going door to door, preaching the gospel. People were being saved. And we're going to look at one story in which it talks about that. And this is what it says. It says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Now listen to this. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, say as a result with me, as a result, many of them believed. 
as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Can you say amen with me to God's word? What it says here is that as Paul and Silas went and preached the word, that there was a nobility to the Berean Jews, that, that it was respectable that when they hear the word, that they didn't just blindly say, okay, well, you're right because it just sounds good or it was an emotional high. You know, it wasn't like infomercial, catch you in the moment, we'll buy it, take our money, take our soul. But it, they truly took a step back and said, you know what, I'm going to examine the scriptures. I want to dig in and see if this is really true, what I believe in. And what it says is, as a result of them diving in, many believed. Did you know that digging into your faith actually makes it stronger? Did you know that acknowledging questions, even taking into consideration why you believe, are things that actually strengthen your faith, not hinder it? It's leaving them unanswered or ignoring them that are things that can be detrimental to your faith in Jesus. Amen? In fact... I would even go as far as to say is to ask yourself that question and ask it often. Why do you believe? Last week, um, I began sharing even why I personally choose to believe in Jesus. Not as a point of I'm smarter or my words are any more important than anyone else's in this room or in this church or in this world. But I think it's important for all of us to hear your pastors, your leaders, your parents as to why they believe. And I'd encourage you to do that as well. Go to your parents later today when you get a moment, maybe at dinner, and just go, Mom, Dad, why do you choose to believe in Jesus? How did you come to that conclusion? If you have a moment with your leaders, ask them that. How did you come to believe in Jesus? What, What do you believe about it? Seek them and ultimately ask it about yourself as well. So I want to look at three different things this morning. I want to look at spirituality. I want to look at God's word, and then I want to look at personal testimony to end the morning. And so does that sound good to people? Can I get an amen? We're all tracking together. And so I want to look at spirituality. Um, Much like creation and much like even death, last week we talked about how with creation you look at this world and you look at the majesty of it, and it causes you to ask a question, is this random or is this something that an author created? And what the word says is that, God is making himself visible by the beauty of his creation. We talked about death as well and how that can cause you to ask greater questions. At some point in our lives, we realize we're not going to live forever. And so as a person in this world, you begin to realize certain things. Who created this? Or is there more than this after this life? And I think one of the other questions that a person will ask themselves at one point or another in their lives is this. Is what is happening in front of me all that's really happening. It's everything that I'm looking at with my physical eyes, everything that I'm seeing and taking in, is that really happening? Is there more than going on? Is there a spiritual element? Are there things that are unseen that are happening? Or can I truly just see every single thing that is happening in front of me? And when I refer to spirituality, I'm referring to anything beyond the physical or the natural. These are things that are beyond just natural things that you could see happening in front of you or quantify or control or rationale. And I think that when you look at that, it's a good question to ask. And one of the things that we even talked about was atheism and agnosticism, and that atheists believe that there is no God, that there is no spiritual form of God whatsoever. Agnostic is the belief that it's neither here or the other. It's choosing to believe to not believe, if that makes sense. Many of you guys know the society that we live in. 
Um, maybe you experience it at school. Maybe you experience it at the hands of teachers. You will most certainly experience it in college as well. And continuously throughout your lives of even defending your faith or understanding your faith on a much more deep level. Did you know that the Oregonian did a 2016 study that Portland, Oregon um, has the most atheists in the city in the entire country, that we're predominantly a place that doesn't believe in God. And so that creates an interesting place for us to better understand who our God is and what he's like and what he's up to around us. The belief of atheism doesn't believe that there's anything spiritual necessarily happening, that everything is natural around us and that it's happening in front of you. But Christianity believes quite the opposite when you look at it. It doesn't just acknowledge spiritual things, but Christianity is built on spiritual things. The word says that God is spirit. God came in the flesh for Christmas time. <laughs> he came for Christmas. Um, he was Christmas, amen? So, but think about this. God came in the flesh, but God in his truest form is spirit, is what it says. It says that there are heavenly dwellings. It says that the spirit of God hovered over the earth before it was created. And so there was a spiritual element and community existing long before the physical necessarily existed. And so it would even go as far as to say that many of you guys know the story of Moses coming out of Egypt with the Israelites, and God would give these instructions, and he says, I want you to build a place of worship for me, and I want you to follow everything down to the very detail. And he says, because these are a shadow of what is happening in heaven, that this is a perfect picture of what is happening in the unseen and in the heavenly realms. The Bible very much acknowledges spiritual things that are happening, even amidst the natural things that are happening around us. And I think that you see that um, when you look at spiritual events, I think you have to consider all of them, not necessarily one side or the other. Maybe you're someone in this room that when you hear the word spirituality, can you say it with me? Spirituality. Maybe you hear that and you think miracles. Maybe you think sightings, angels. Um, and those are all spiritual elements, but you have to consider all of it. What about the other side? What about evil? What about those things? I want to look at both of those for a minute. When you look at miracles specifically, everybody say miracles with me. By the miraculous, I'm referring to a spiritual, I would say intervening would be a good word of God. That is beyond something that could be rationalized or explained beyond that God did it. And so when you look at miracles, those are things that happen all throughout the Bible, all throughout time. But throughout the Bible, what you see with miracles is that they weren't something random. Jesus wasn't just like a musician, like, ooh, look what I did, you know. That wasn't God's nature. But when you see miracles happen, they were used to reveal who God was and to affirm what he said. So I want you to say reveal with me, reveal, and say affirm with me. Affirm. These are things that God has done since the very beginning. You look at Abraham even being promised a son in which the lineage of Jesus would come from it. And he says, to prove that it's true, I'm going to give you a son, even though naturally you guys can't have kids anymore. It will be a miracle, and then you'll know my words are true. You look at someone like Moses when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt with all the miracles and the signs and the wonders. In fact, at one point it said the magicians 
of Egypt looked at Pharaoh and said, this is happening only by the finger of God, that the miraculous affirmed the very message of who Jesus was. When you look at the prophets throughout the Old Testament and all the amazing things that they did and the miraculous, it was all to point to God and to bring the people back to him. And then ultimately in the greatest picture in which the Bible points to in Jesus... Jesus comes forth with a message of salvation, but it comes affirmed with miracles. Jesus says something interesting to the disciples in John 10. He says, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work, which is interesting. He's like, if I'm not doing what my father says, just don't believe. But if I do them, even though you may not believe me, believe the works So that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He says, if you're struggling to believe, look at the works that I'm doing. Look at the miracles. Look at the healings. Look at the resurrection power around you. That testifies to the message of Jesus just as much as anything. You see that with the apostles, even in planting the churches, that the Holy Spirit came. And what the word says is that their message was affirmed by the miracles that were happening among them. In fact, there's a, time in the test, or there's a time in Luke where Jesus forgives a paralyzed man. And the people question whether he could forgive him or not. And Jesus says, to prove that I can forgive him, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. All of a sudden, the only reason Jesus did the miracle was to prove who he said he was. And to prove that his character was true. This is something that's true throughout biblical times. But it's also true nowadays. It's things that happen around us. Whether you look for them or not, maybe you're someone that's experienced a miracle in your life or you've seen a miracle happen around you. But miracles happen every day, whether or not we see them. In fact, the very reason that we're gathering at Beaverton and Foursquare, did you know it was a miracle in itself? Did you know that Foursquare in itself was based on a healing ministry from a woman named Amy Semple McPherson? She did a healing ministry literally out of her car would perform these incredible signs and incredible healings. People who are about to die would literally be raised up. There was one, you can put up the picture. This is a really interesting picture from 1921. She was in San Diego and she thought, all right, well, maybe 3,000 people are going to come to my rally. Yeah, real conservative number. And it, actually 30,000 people came. And so there they are. And she's calling up people onto the stage for healing. And here's the woman and she's laying there right now who's completely paralyzed And Amy's looking up to the sky right now, praying for her. Moments later, would get up and walk. Right there, completely healed after all the suffering she had been through. But that's not all of her story, and that's not all of God's story. In fact, it was funny because in 1921, she decided to take a survey of 3,500 people she had come into contact with over healing and asked for feedback. Who of you were really healed? I want to know that the work that God is doing is real. 600 of them came back and said, we were immediately physically healed in the name of Jesus the moment it happened. It was like immediate healing. And then 80% of the rest of the 3,500 said that the minute that we were prayed over, we began to gradually heal and eventually were fully healed. Now that's close to 2,800 to 3,000 total of 3,500. Now that's one person in one time. And you look at that, you look at the entirety of how that founded our denomination, that our family. You look at nowadays, even amongst us as a church, you talk to any of the pastors or the leaders on staff of stories that you see God's miraculous healing hand, you could go on for days. I actually just got lunch with a guy named Tim Tank, if you could put that up. Tim was someone who had 
um, a cancer that was incurable. And from that moment, he began to pray and reached out for people to pray. Went to the doctor. Doctor did a full scan. Nothing. Absolutely nothing found. And the doctor said, too, this is not the kind of cancer that just disappears. In fact, it's scientifically impossible for it to disappear. So what happened? He'll tell you. He said, well, God healed me in that. There are many stories like that throughout. You could go on and on about visions and sightings. Pastor Randy once told us that he probably gets an email once a month that someone has seen angels within our community and within our church. That these are part of the norm. These are things that are happening amongst us, whether or not we realize them or not. Miracles and the work of God is, is here, whether you see it or not. Maybe it's something you've experienced yourself. But that's not all of spirituality as well, because I think when you consider that side of it, I, I, I believe that evil just as much reveals that there is a God as much as the miracles. What I mean by that is this, the word of God says that for a struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That what's happening in front of us isn't just flesh and blood. In fact, there's another verse in 1 John 5.19. It says, we know we're the children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. And that's referring to the devil, who would be referred to as the enemy. And oftentimes when you think of our world and you think of it cursed or think of us imperfect, you can think about sin. And rightfully so. We're imperfect. We sin. We fall short. But what about evil? There's a difference between sin and evil. And what the word says is there was a fallen man because of sin that happened in the garden, but there was a fall of evil that happened. And I would just say, if you're taking notes and you want to read about that, there are two chapters that talk about that. It's in Isaiah um, 14 and Ezekiel 28, which goes into detail about how Satan was actually a part of heaven, but he wanted glory for himself and he was cast down to earth. That's how he ended up on earth in the first place. And the angelic beings that followed him became demonic throughout the process. And so it's more than just us fighting against sin in our lives. It's us fighting against evil. One of the words it says in James 1 is that when it says, when we begin enticed by our own evil desires, then it gives birth to sin. That when evil is working and we give into it, that's when sin comes to the surface. And so even before sin happens, there's an evil that's working and that's present. And I know that maybe you're someone like me who looks at the world and can see certain things that make you go, how is that natural? Maybe you're someone that looks at the world and you see things like um, slavery, racism, hate, murder, sexual abuse, manipulation, poverty, disease, malnourishment. To say that those things are just a natural part and that there are no spiritual elements to why they exist and how deeply they exist in this earth is I believe irrational. Atheists would believe that everything is natural in front of us, and so when it comes to issues like this, there's a natural problem and solution to it. And what that means is this, that these are just natural problems that happen in a community, in a society of people, but there are natural solutions to them. And so when you think about things like hunger, you think about things like people hating one another, that there are natural solutions to this, to medicine and things like that. And you know what's interesting? Out of all human history, this is the least war 
related society as ever existed in the world. Do you, do you understand that? Statistically, it says that this is the least war has ever existed. Medicine is as great as it's ever been. Resources are allocated the greatest they've ever been, and yet these things pop up in our daily lives. You see attacks happening. You see attacks on churches. You see attacks on concerts. You see sexual harassment coming to the surface. You look at these things, and the world goes, how did this happen? It's because there isn't natural solutions to a spiritual evil. That's why it looks the way that it does. And that's why when you look at some of the things and some of the evils that happen in the world, that if you could look at it and say, that's just natural, then that's you. But when I look at that, when I look at pain and suffering and hate, racism, murder, harassment, sexual abuse, and to look at that and to say that's just a normal part of society, believe isn't true. And so when you look at the miracles and you look at, look at the evil, it causes you to ask a question about yourself. What do you, how do you handle that? How do you digest and reconcile that? Because you have a couple options. One, you can just believe that's random. You can believe it's just natural. When it comes to healings, when it comes to the miraculous, you can believe that just happened by chance. And the timing of which it happened right after someone reached out to God or someone reached out for them was completely by chance. All of it by chance. I have a friend of mine who is atheist. In fact, he's actually re-questioning his faith at this time. But I asked him that question about miracles, and he said that I believe it's all random. I believe that people just make it up in their heads and that their bodies heal themselves. And I hear that, and I think, tell that to Tim Tank. Tell that to the person who was miraculously healed by cancer. Tell that to the person who was paralyzed and can walk again that that was random or in their head. Because what I choose to believe is that there is a God who is at work, that there are spiritual realms that are at war with one another, and there's more going on than necessarily we can see here. But that's my choice. What do you choose to believe in? See, it's an interesting question when you talk about spiritual things, because maybe you're in here, or maybe you know people that are like, all right, well, I know there are spiritual things going on, but how do you like decipher what's the good and what's the bad? How do you know what's like really true or what's Jesus and what I would just say is then it leads to the word of God. You've maybe heard the Bible referred to in different ways. Maybe you've heard it referred to as um, alive and active. It's a path unto our feet. Jesus would even refer to it as bread for our soul. But one of the other ways that the Bible is also described is this. The word is a documented revelation of who God is. The Bible's crucial because choosing to trust the Bible is the difference between believing in a distant God and choosing to believe in the incarnate Jesus who revealed himself. Does that make sense? Amen? That that's the difference between just acknowledging that there's some big guy out there that sort of put it together, but no one can ever really know him, and acknowledging that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus revealed all of the kingdom. So I, I believe that when it comes to revealing who God really is. Maybe you're someone in here who acknowledges that there is a greater being, but you've never acknowledged Jesus as the one who's God. And maybe you're in here and you're like, I need documented information. I need some facts. I need some statistics. I need some verified information. I'm 100% completely agree with you. 
I believe that if a God wanted to reveal himself fully, he would give sufficient amount of evidence. Amen? I believe that. And one of the ways that I ask that question is, how can I really believe in the Bible if it's as valuable as we say? And not just necessarily saying, well, is the Bible true? Well, yeah. Why? Because the Bible says so. That doesn't necessarily, it's true and it does verify itself. But how do I know that what is written is true? How do I know what has been put in front of me is something that wasn't manipulated by people necessarily? The Bible itself was written over a 1,500-year period by 44 different writers on three different continents. Most of them, if not all of them, didn't know one another. But I think one of the things when you look at their kind of manuscripts of which they wrote it and dated it, that the difference between them yet testified to the same God. Does that make sense? Where in one part of the Bible it doesn't say, God's like this, and then the next Bible, in the next book it's like, God's not like this, and God's like this, God's not like this. That people who were unrelated to one another would write so similarly about a God for the odds of that to happen are slim to none. And so that speaks to the unity of the word. I would even go as far as to say that when you look at even just sort of test that happened of the Bible, there are two ways that you can test. And this is what they use for ancient documents as well. There's an internal test and an external test. Everybody put up the number two. Peace. So there are two ways. The internal test is this. Does the Bible testify to itself? Does the work, does the writings testify to who it is or does it discredit itself? Does that, so what it's saying is, does it say it's fiction? You know what I mean? Like, if someone writes a book like Harry Potter, you're not going to go, oh, this is true because it's in writing, right? Harry Potter's not true, everyone. Amen? Well, so. But when you look at the Bible and you see the continuity of it, you see a Bible that testifies to itself from beginning to end. That no point doesn't necessarily say that it isn't true. And that's, that's a powerful thing because there are books out there that are revelations beyond the Bible that say that they trump the Bible. That they say, we have more weight than what the Bible has said. And so there are certain scriptures in the Bible that have been said that are no longer true. And that in itself discredits itself because now it doesn't line up. But when you look at Jesus when he came to earth, what he said in Matthew 5.17 is, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. So what Jesus came to earth, and here's the Old Testament, here's the word. He didn't come and he didn't say that, I don't believe in that. Or now I'm going to give you a new way. What he says is, I'm ready to fulfill the very words that are already in your hands and give you the full scope of what God is like. That's how it testifies to itself. That's the internal test. Now the external test of it is kind of the outer things. Because the Bible might testify inside the covers it's true. But how do you know someone hasn't manipulated it? How do you know it's not true? Well, when you look at a couple different screenings and tests, one comes with original ancient manuscripts. I want you to go ahead and put up. These are original ancient manuscripts that are available for all other books. Here's many of you guys have probably studied that. How many of you studied Homer's Odyssey in school or anything like that? They have 643 original manuscripts to back up the words. That way someone didn't change it necessarily in a future time. Now, I want you to put up the New Testament. New Testament's 5,600 original manuscripts from ancient times, which is over eight times as many available as the second most um, documented subject. You wouldn't question if Homer's Odyssey 
was necessarily tampered with. But look at the accuracy of the New Testament. As well to test whether or not it was true, there was something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was a discovery that was made in the 1940s um, of ancient documents of people who lived in the mountains who literally just copied scriptures to make sure it was real. Which, can I just say, how many of you would like to be trapped in a mountain your entire life just writing? You know? No thank you. Amen? I would think that my life didn't serve much purpose. But it's funny because ultimately this did serve a lot of purpose. This validated what the Bible said. And the thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls is now you had future Bible that you're holding in your hand to compare to the originals back then. And what they found was this, that 99.5% of the documents were the same. There were only just a little bit of changes of the words like the or of that were different. Oftentimes, it would take them up to four years to copy it perfectly because they wanted to preserve it word for word. If they messed up, they would literally throw out the scroll and start it over again because there was no room for error. The other thing as well when it comes to testing whether or not it's real, maybe you're someone in here that's heard stuff in the Bible and you're like, well, did that really happen? I think there's archaeological proof that proves that it's not real. There's a man named Nelson Gluck who's not a believer, but he's one of the leading archaeologists of our day. You could call him the Michael Jordan of kind of archaeological studies because of what he has been able to find is beyond his time. And he says this quote, he says, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. By the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. What he's saying is this, that there's never been a discovery that's like, oh, the Bible's not true. All that's ever been found is that they found that the Bible is true. And he's found over 1,500 sites that's affirmed biblical places referred into the Bible. The last thing I think that gives so much weight to who God is and who he says he is, is prophecies. Everybody say prophecy with me. Prophecy is a saying of something or God reveals something that's going to happen in the future and then it does. There were 353 prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament. The odds of, one, or odds of eight of them happening were one in ten to the 17th power. That's what it looks like. And what it says is that all 353 were fulfilled by Jesus. So that way someone couldn't come along and say, I'm Jesus, because the word says, well, it says that he's going to come in this way. And Jesus is, and so it affirms who he is. And so would you guys say that's pretty convincing proof? Can I get an amen? It's a lot of facts, and we could go all day about them, but I know we have lives. So, But I think it's beyond just an accurate textbook that if you acknowledge the validity, if you acknowledge the truth of who the uh, Jesus is in the Bible on the outside, then it'll afford you the opportunity to believe what it says on the inside. It allows you to begin building trust with who God is revealed on the inside. The Bible not only reveals who God is, the Bible reveals what the world is. The Bible reveals what life is like. And ultimately, the Bible reveals what you're like, tells you what humanity's like, tells you what you're prone to, tells you what your heart feels, tells you what you're prone to wander to, what you're to pursue, how, who to trust in. And it's through that that you begin to understand who Jesus is. Begin to build relationship with him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'm going to ask that you guys go ahead and put away your Bibles. And I want to talk about this last um, 
point with you this morning. Because when it comes to talking about why you would choose to believe in Jesus, I think looking at things like creation and death and resurrection, those are all valid questions. And those are questions that we're always going to have about who God is. And the beauty is that when you dig in and when you answer those questions, you find that God really is true to his word. You find that there's truth behind it to prove who God is and the reality of who he is. But the last point I want to make is this, is personal testimony. What it says in Revelation 12 at the end times is that there are crazy days ahead of us. But what it says in there is that we'll, we'll have victory in the fact that um, we've defeated them by the blood of the Lamb, that we're saved by the blood of Jesus. It says that we didn't love our lives so much that we were afraid to die, that we didn't, oh, I want to live my life my own way to avoid persecution or death even is what it says. And then the last point is this, by the word of their testimony. You know that Jesus didn't come to earth to prove he was real? Jesus came to earth to be in relationship with you. Jesus didn't come down to earth and go, ta-da, see, I was real, you're all wrong. Jesus came to earth to look at you in the face and say, I want to save you and I want to share life with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want to forgive you because sin is the thing that's separating our relationship. I want relationship with you. And you may not think you're worthy of relationship, but you are because of what I've done for you. You know, it's funny because if someone asked you or someone told you, hey, your best friend doesn't really exist, you wouldn't go, oh yeah, well I have their birth certificate and I have their ancestrytree.com to prove it, right? Unless you're like that. <laughs> and so, But you would go, no, I know them. No, I share in life with them, actually. We've been through so much together. What about God? What's your relationship like with the Lord? What do you say to that? No, God exists. I have coffee with him every morning. No, God exists. He reveals himself to me through his word. And we've walked through so much together. There are so many times where I failed him. There's so many times when I fell short and God came to me and he forgave me and he lifted me up and he gave me peace. He reminded me of who I was. See, that's all the proof that you need. But it's more than just proof. It's just more than acknowledging something's true. It's relationship, which is why this isn't about informing you about Jesus. This is about faith in Jesus. It's about choosing to believe in him. And so I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me. I want you guys to close your eyes. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're someone who is known of Jesus Maybe you even know him to be true. The Bible would even go as far as to say that demons acknowledge that Jesus is true, but that doesn't mean that they believe in him and that they trust in him and that they follow in him. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're someone that acknowledges that Jesus is true. And just with eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment with the Lord this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never said, Jesus, I've, I've acknowledged you from afar, but now I'm going to invite you into my life. You're my Lord and you're my Savior and you're my best friend. Maybe you're here and you've been struggling with your own questions and your own doubts and you've allowed that to cloud the relationship that you have rather than allowing it to strengthen it. Rather than allowing an opportunity for you to grow even more in the Lord even if you don't have the answers yet. Maybe you're here this morning 
And that's the decision you want to make. Maybe you're here this morning and you were in a relationship with God, but over time it's become more about the information than it has become about the relationship with Jesus. This morning I want to pray with you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we praise you. Because you're not a God that's just content with proving himself with information. But you're a God that reveals himself fully and wants to be in relationship, wants to be with us. So this morning as we're praying, if you're here and you want to say yes to Jesus, just do that right now between you and God. It's just between you and God right now. This is your decision to fully choose. Not just to say, well, yeah, I think that's true, but to say, no, I believe in you and I'd be willing to give my life for it. I choose you, Jesus, right now as my Lord and Savior. The word says that you'll be saved and that you'll go from death to life, that you'll be made alive in the spirit right now. God, would you affirm that? Maybe you're here and you've been praying and you feel like you need to come back to Jesus. You need to come back to your first love, that Jesus has now become a philosophy to you. Maybe it's just become information to you rather than understanding that Jesus is a living word, that he wants to be with you in all ways. I want to pray with you right now. That's you. So just acknowledge that. Because Jesus, you are real and you want to be in real relationship with us. That's why we celebrate this season. That's why we celebrate every season with you. Because you love us and you're God with us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship.